On this week's episode, we welcome former CIA Charles Faddis and Texas Sheriff A.J. Lauterbach. Charles Faddis is a retired head of the CIA for Weapons of Mass Destruction Terrorism Unit, and he joins us. You know, some have said that um, America is, the CIA doesn't have the capacity or the technology or intel to protect the United States, Um, and yet you guys are find yourselves all over the country, many people say, at a weakened state. Um, what, what is it that, and I know we're going to talk about Ukraine, is it, where do you, where do you think the CIA um, uh, needs to be involved in helping the United States, especially with what's going on in, in Europe right now with the Ukrainians and the Russians? Right, well, what the CIA can do is tell you what's going on inside somebody's head if they're doing the job right. You can look at a satellite, and see that Vladimir Putin has lined up 200,000 guys on the border with Ukraine, tanks, missiles, and artillery. What the CIA can tell you, if they're doing it right, that nobody else can, is, is that a bluff? Is it not? What's his real intention? But that requires a human source and nobody can do it. Is Putin bluffing about his nuclear armament? Uh, well, uh, yeah, largely. I mean, uh, in my estimation, what the guy thought he was going to do was run into Ukraine, wrap this thing up in about 72 hours, install a puppet government and move on. Didn't turn out that way. He's bogged down and the sanctions and other measures are hurting. And so he wants to do is scare people and get them to back off. I mean, a nuclear war is... He's already run his country into the ditch or a nuclear war isn't going to help. Um, where did he miscalculate? Well, I think he probably, look, this is a guy who considers the fall of the Soviet Union, in his own words, the greatest tragedy of the 20th century, right? He's he's still living in the past in terms of what the Soviet Union was. The reality is that Russia is a greatly diminished power with greatly diminished capacity, and the Ukrainians are no slouches. They were a part of the Soviet Union themselves. So he thought they were going to fall over and, and quit, and they didn't. And probably, you know, in, like in any dictatorship, the people around him probably are inclined to tell Putin what he wants to hear, not give him the uncomfortable reality of what's going to really happen when he pushes the button. What role are the oligarchs playing in all this? It's especially now they don't have access to their wealth and their fantasy lifestyle, and the reality is setting in unless they change this trajectory. Well, there, that you know, that's that remains to be seen. We we can hope that what's going to happen here is that while Putin may want to continue to live in his fantasy world, that there are going to be folks around him who are going to say, "I'm not riding this thing to the ground with you." We we will see. You know, it takes a long time for that kind of stuff to develop, and sometimes folks don't stand up and do the right thing. Could the United States and her European allies? could have stopped this in its track and the invasion would have never happened? Yeah, I mean, let's start with this, right? The Russian economy basically revolves around oil and natural gas sales. Something like 40% of their budget comes 
from oil and natural gas sales. Without that money, Putin can't run a war, can't fund his own military. Uh, Joe Biden could have not shut off. I mean, Joe Biden has essentially waged jihad on the American oil and natural gas industry since he came in. Right? He could have gone in the other direction, ramped up production, cut into Russian sales, taken away the money Putin needed to do this. He could have also said to Putin, because Putin certainly has a valid concern about Ukraine joining NATO, while he increased the pain level for Putin, he could have also said, look, if you need assurances that NATO is not expanding to Ukraine, then we can talk about that, sort of a carrot and stick approach, give the guy an off-ramp, and we would probably never be where we are today. You know, we see these images um, of Ukrainian law enforcement forcing people off the train. You see these images that they're Africans and they're black, and it could be a part of the propaganda where they're trying to play the race card. They have less sympathy for the Ukrainians. Uh, it could be that if you don't, if you're not native and they recognize that you're not, you don't get the first seat on the train. Talk about the propaganda campaign and talk about those images. Well, the images are obviously disturbing, and I think it's entirely possible that there are cases of individuals that are taking folks that are, for instance, black Africans that are in Ukraine trying to go into Western Europe and telling them you're not welcome. That's that's hardly beyond beyond belief, right? That we would find folks who are still exhibiting prejudice and acting in, in that fashion. On the other hand, the propaganda war is intense here. Both sides, the Ukrainians and the Russians, are, are to some extent making things up. I mean, the Ukrainians uh, effectively manufactured this fictitious fighter race they claim is patrolling the skies over Kiev and shooting down Russian planes, which is silly. And, and uh, the Russians are calling the Ukrainians Nazis. And, the, you know, I mean, everybody's going to look for, for some way to demonize the other side. And we all have to be careful and kind of cut through that and get to reality. We think we know much about Putin, but what is it that we need to know about Zelensky? Well, I, I mean, I guess what we need to know about Zelensky and about Ukraine writ large is that while we can have sympathy for the Ukrainian people and while we can have certainly want to restrain Russian aggression, we don't need the Soviet Union reconstituted. That's not in our interest. Let's resist the temptation to paint the Ukrainian government as sort of, you know, pure as the driven snow kind of thing. I mean, Ukraine has its own issues with corruption and lack of a true democratic process. So let's I think the challenge in anything that deals with national security and war is to just stay clear-eyed, right? It's to stay rational, to keep the emotion out of it. Let's just focus on what is really happening here. What about Germany? Germany is the real power in Europe. The money to spend 2% on defending itself, now they're talking about increasing it after what is happening in Ukraine. What is, the, what is their whole card? What, uh, we don't really know which side they're on. It seems as though they're playing it up the middle. What is their true agenda, and why is it that they can make a difference in this conflict? Well, they're an incredibly powerful nation, I mean, it, it, at least economically, right? But let's face it, what are the Germans doing? The Germans are doing at any one point in time what they perceive is good for Germany, and frankly, that's making money and posting the economy. And that really goes for all of Europe, right? I mean, Americans are always waiting for the day when the Europeans are going to lead. Why do we always have to be the ones leading? 
you know, I get news for you that, well, you can wait in vain for that day. It is always going to be the case. When Yugoslavia was going up in flames and genocide was being committed on the doorstep of Western Europe, it still took the United States of America to take point to, to bring that to an end. That left to them to their own devices, the Europeans would have just watched it happen. China, the elephant in the room. China, yeah, so the Chinese are lashed up with the Russians, right? They just basically signed what amounts to an alliance with them. They're buying all of their oil that they can get their hands on to ensure that Putin's got money. Uh, it's funny how we don't talk about China at all. Biden will trash the Russians all day long, but the Chinese, who are a much greater threat, kind of just get a pass. I, I'm tempted to say that that has something to do with the fact that over the years, Joe and his son have taken literally billions of dollars in Chinese money. So it'll it'll be a it'll be a cold day in hell before Joe Biden stands up to the Chinese because they own him. Like, explain that. Now you've got to explain that. You know, you hear that nobody wants to talk about it because he's the president of the United States. You believe the Russians, the Chinese, own President Biden. And you're the former head of the CIA's terrorism division of weapons of mass destruction. Why do you say that? Yeah, well, I mean, so let's just, you know, to, to draw out that backdrop, I, I spent a, a big chunk of my life in the business of running sources, recruiting sources, and, and hunting other people's sources. So I kind of know the business. The Chinese have a practice they call elite capture. It's not a fantasy, it's not a conspiracy theory, it is a major worldwide program. And that program is to co-opt, to buy, to control the elite, the powerful people in target countries. At the top of that list, not surprisingly, is the United States. They do this all day long. Now take that template, look at what they do and exactly how they do it, which we know, have the whole, and then look at Joe Biden and his career and the amount of money that has been funneled and right on one trip in 2013 alone he and hunter went over he joe goes off to meetings with chinese leadership hunter goes to a meet with the state bank of china and they give him what later turns out to be 1.5 billion dollars and then they both climb back on air force two and fly back to the united states well you know that is kind of exactly what it looks like it is right and what do you get for that you get a guy who's now sitting in the white house who you bought a long time ago. I think this is a key element of what people don't don't yet face with Joe. You are not just looking at incompetence. How, right? do, you, how, how, how do you get that kind of money in the United States? How do you get it in banks? How does that work? One some billion dollars? It was a direct, I mean, it was all done above board in that sense. It came straight from the State Bank of China and it went into bank accounts in the United States. And nobody has ever disputed it. Biden hasn't ever disputed that and disputed most of the other transactions that involved millions and millions and millions of dollars. He just claims that somehow or another it had nothing to do with him. So his son, who gets thrown out of the Navy for, for you know, cocaine use, who has no discernible skills, uh, somehow people feel compelled to hand this guy billions of dollars who, who can't produce anything other than access to dad, but we're not supposed to ask about it. Let me come back to you, um, Charles. 
what influence does NATO, United Nations, they have in this process? Are they owned by the Chinese? Do they have any real power? Well, they, they, they do have power. And, and look, let's not, let's not kid ourselves about what these sanctions are doing. The Russians, the Russian economy is not particularly strong to start with, and these sanctions are crushing. The ruble is essentially worthless. So if, these, if they hold the line on this, this, this can actually be powerful. That's obviously the caveat, right? Like putting sanctions in place for a few days or a week is one thing. They have a tendency, most of these countries, to drift away and within weeks or months begin to lift the sanctions. So resolution is crucial. So if Putin is back into a corner, you don't think under any conditions, nuclear options would be his go-to. And listen, they're saying he's a madman. We've not seen him like this before. He seems to be unstable. Is this propaganda, or what do you think the truth is about Putin's stability? I don't think he's unstable. Is he delusional to a certain extent? I started off by saying that he thought he was going to win this thing in 72 hours, and that didn't happen. So, yeah, on some level, he's delusional. He's a pragmatic guy, as most most Russians are, in my experience. Is there danger of nuclear war? Well, there's danger of a wider conflict, for sure, because wars start without anybody intending. You can stumble into conflict. So, you know, while we pressure this guy, I think what we also want to do is look for a way to allow him to find an off-ramp to get out of this crisis. We don't want this confrontation to go on forever. Talking about not going on forever, are there any similarities with World War One and others where this could lead to a World War III? Because that is a concern that people, many people around the world, that they have. Yeah, look, without question, right? World War I started because a, a, a guy who was the heir to the throne of the Austro-Hungarian Empire gets assassinated in Serbia. And the next thing you know, you got a war that I think killed 25 million people and involves every great European power. Nobody sat down and said, hey, here's my plan. I think we should fight this war and get a whole bunch of people killed. It got out of control really fast. And conflicts do that. So we, we need to manage this. Again, I keep always come back to this. When you're talking about force and national security, it is no time for emotion, boasts, chest thumping, all of this nonsense. You got to get really clear-eyed, very sober, very rational, and be very careful. Before I go to Sheriff Lauder, back, what is it that the mainstream media, the European media, um, the Russian media, what is it that they actually get wrong? What is it that we're not seeing that's being underreported in, uh, in this crisis? Well, I think what, what what everybody wants to do is they want to paint one side. You know, they want to paint this in a typical way. Yeah, one side is the good guys. One side is the bad guys. It's all or nothing. Either the Russians are good, the Ukrainians are good. It's a lot more complicated than nuance. I mean, Putin is a thug. He wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union. But the threat of Ukraine becoming a member of NATO, sitting on his border, and the possibility of American tank divisions being that close to his capital, Putin, any other leader in Russia, will regard that as a threat. We should have defused that years ago because it was always going to be something 
the Russians would not allow. Sheriff Lardabai, how porous are our borders? Well, increasingly so, because as we as we uh, contemplate and talk about the uh, the issue in in uh, Ukraine, we've had uh, we've had weapons pointed at us every day uh, from the cartels. As our border uh, still continues to be, uh, uh, you know, the vision of an open border is here. It's in the United States. It's promoted by this by this administration, and uh, it's still causing the, the devastation and chaos. Um, uh, every day. You know, um, Charles, is there anything that we can do about our borders? And do you think we're as vulnerable as many on the conservative side are saying we are if we don't do something about our borders and who are, who's coming in? Well, Armstrong, yeah, we can... we're being invaded. We have a national invasion here today. And I think it's every bit as bad as, as what... Uh, that's uh, what people are saying. Um, just from a law enforcement perspective on the empowerment and the rise of the cartel, the sophistication of the cartel, uh, as, as they every day uh, become more and more, um, uh, the, their abilities are, are really the American public does not understand what we're up against here with the, uh, with the current cartels. And in my area, it's Cartel de Golfo. But you've got the uh, cartel Jalisco, Nuevo Generacion, that is uh, very militaristic. Uh, it is it is overtaking uh, uh, property in different uh, areas of, of South Texas and, uh, and uh, Southern Mexico. You still have the Sinaloa that's dominant in the northern part of Mexico, which works the uh, Arizona border heavily. And uh, the the entire situation is is bleak as far as the uh, control over our our southern border, uh, and in Texas law enforcement, as we just continue to be, um, you know, pummeled by the by the uh, uh, massively funded cartel operation. Charles, what does your human intelligence share with you about the southern and other borders in this country? Well, here here I think is is a central fact that folks need to understand. We refer to cartels, and that term gets thrown out as kind of a synonym for a gang. And we understand we got armed guys, and they're dangerous, and they do horrible things. Cartel is not a synonym for a gang. You're not talking about X number of guys with guns who do bad things. What you're talking about are criminal organizations that effectively supplant the existing civil government. So the easiest way to think about this is that Increasingly, we do not share a border with the country of Mexico. Increasingly, we share a border with a narco state or actually multiple narco states. So it is not just that there are guys with guns who do bad things and move drugs on the other side of the border. It is that they control all of the institutions of government. So you have a terrorist narco state, multiple actually, and we're effectively opening our border to that. So you're getting immigrants or illegals coming across the border, vast quantities of drugs, including fentanyl, which is killing people in American cities at an unprecedented rate. And, and then by the way, anything else on earth that is evil can cross that border. Weapons of mass destruction, terrorist groups, we have, we've, we have ceded control of it. 
That's a the reality. That's a direct threat to American national security. Sheriff Lauterbach, your response? Well, it's very accurate. You're running the, especially, let's just take the uh, Cartel Jalisco Nuevo Generacion, which is a parallel uh, to the Mexican government. You're talking about a militaristic force with, uh, with heavy weapons, uh, armored vehicles, uh, Kevlar helmets, uh, com- completely can't tell the difference between CJNG uh, troops as they come out of armored vehicles that they're uh, completely in uniform and matching uniforms and matching equipment. Uh, this is this is a, a new threat level here in Mexico as these folks were able to, uh, this cartel alone is able to take on the Mexican government and, and possibly win so a narco country, uh, narco states, obviously. I'm right across from Tamaulipas. Uh, in Mexico, uh, and really the with with the, the president of Mexico's policies that are in place right now, the states aren't receiving any help at all. So you're you're looking at state forces that are that are fighting the cartel without the assistance uh, from the Mexican government. In many cases, this is uh, this is the hugs not bullets situation that um, uh, President Mexico AMLO has put together, and that's what's happening to the country there as they are declining and, and, and losing to the cartel on a daily basis. This is a real threat to the United States. It's a real threat, a very real threat to Texas. You know, finally, um, and I'm going to call you Sam, finally, what needs to happen? I know you talked about the sanctions. We have a panelist coming up to talk about the SWIFT. Uh, what is necessary to stop Putin's aggression to bring this regional war to a complete halt? Well, on top of everything that's already ongoing, I would say the single biggest thing the Biden administration could do is reverse course completely on its policy toward oil and natural gas. We ought to be doing everything possible to stop the Russians from selling oil. By the way, we're still buying it. And then we ought to be ramping up our production, telling the Western Europeans, we'll fill every liquid natural gas carrier you have. We will supply all of the heating and energy and cut off that, that flow of cash into production. Without that, they can't, can't live. Literally 40% of their federal budget comes from that revenue. You cut that off, he can't even put gas in his tanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode 